Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 156. A lot of actors talk about doing their homework, but very few of them do it. Tony Scott. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, my indie film hustlers, to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Now, today's show is sponsored by Videoblocks. Now, if you guys are looking for stock footage, After Effects templates, motion graphics, Videoblocks is the site, man. I've been using them for years now. I use some clips of theirs in my movie, This Is Meg, for some stock footage. And this month alone, they're launching a new crazy collection of hundreds of new Unreal clips, including space, virtual reality, deep water, fantasy, and sci-fi footage. All of that comes free with your subscription, and it is a limited time. And you also get free 4K clips with your membership at no cost. And Videoblocks is now giving you seven days of free downloads. Download a ton of stuff for free. Check it out. See what's going on with it. And remember, whatever you download during those seven days is yours for free, royalty-free forever. So definitely give them a shot. So head over to videoblocks.com forward slash Indie, I-N-D-I-E. That's videoblocks.com forward slash Indie. Today's show is also sponsored by Digital Box Office. Now, Digital Box Office is a global provider of streaming movies, television, and all sorts of original content. DBO provides a dramatic new opportunity for indie filmmakers to gain previously unavailable global exposure and valuable analytics. Now, the service is going to be a data mine for Hollywood and for indie filmmakers as digital box office users are required to vote on the content that they watch on the platform via DBO's proprietary single one-click voting model. Now you can submit your film today at upload.digitalboxoffice.tv and you can browse their current selection at www.digitalboxoffice.tv. You can also download the app for ISO or Android at the Google Play and Apple App Store. So today, guys, you are in for a treat. I want you to prepare to get your minds blown. I released a course, uh, a, a, I think last week or a couple weeks ago, uh, called the Hollywood Film and Television Directing Masterclass that our guest today taught. His name is Gil Beckman. And Gil is a teacher over at Chapman University. He's a film professor there. And he's also been a director for over three decades, working on some of my favorite shows of the 80s, doing a ton of different uh, movies, 
television shows, music videos, commercials, just tons and tons of stuff. And the man has written two books, First Time Director, How to Make Your Breakthrough Movie, and Directing the Camera, How Professional Directors Use the Moving Camera to Energize Their Films. Both books are extremely highly recommended, and I will be putting links to everything we talk about in our show notes at IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 156. And Gil came to my attention when I was kind of trolling the internet looking um, for cool film courses, and I came across his DVD. And when I took the course, I was blown away, and I had to bring it out to you guys at the Tribe. So uh, we teamed up to release the course. And I, I got to tell you, it, it is honestly one of the best directing courses. Uh, it has nothing to do with actors. We have great acting courses and directing actors and things like that courses. But as far as it's, it's just a pure cinematic directing course, this is by far the best course I've ever taken. And if you read the reviews of the course uh, on our on our course page, you'll see why. People are kind of blown away by it. He talks about how to use the camera to do moving establishing shots, how to cover dialogue with a moving camera, and how to shoot an action sequence. And he also we also talk about in this interview as well as in the course how insanely easy it is to add a tremendous amount of high production value to your action movie by creating a foot chase just like the legendary foot chase and point break starring Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves and it adds so much production value it's so easy to do and I'm like well next time I'm shooting an action movie I'm obviously going to be doing a foot chase it's pretty insane and we go a little bit we go actually pretty in depth about how to do it in this podcast but at the end of the episode after our interview I'm going to give you guys a special link to download the course at almost 50% off just because you guys are loyal listeners and members of the tribe. Oh, and by the way, did I happen to mention that uh, Gil worked very closely with Robert Zemeckis for years? And we talk a lot about Bob, excuse me, Robert, uh, about how they worked together. They literally met each other at a film festival prior to you know Robert uh, Zemeckis even shooting used cars, which is before Black to the Future and, and his amazing career. And we talk a lot about uh, what he learned from Bob and what he learned from uh, working with him for so many years. But, you know, without any further ado, guys, I just want you guys to get ready to take some notes because this is going to be a pretty mind-blowing episode. So enjoy my conversation with Gil Beckman. I'd like to welcome to the show Gil Bettman, man. Thank you so much for uh, joining us on the show, man. My pleasure. I appreciate it, man. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got started in the business? I got started in the business uh, in the days when you know, television um, was much more action-oriented. And I uh, worked initially as a – well, I was at UCLA. And out of UCLA, I got, a, I got signed to a contract at Universal Studios. It was a contract to write, produce, and direct. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, I know. They used, it was actually, it was, it was called, it was the seven-year slave contract. They owned everything I, I did for seven years. It was sort of a leftover from the days of Easy Rider when Spielberg the studios, yeah. the, the studios sort of, sort of thought, well, maybe there's these kids that we can get them young and sign them and they'll turn into Spielberg. Right, because Spielberg got that same, he, he signed that same deal. He signed the exact same deal a couple of years before me. Right. But, so, yeah. 
So then, so then you you worked in television for a while. I worked initially for this guy Glenn Larson, who was the executive <laughs> producer of Galactica, Knight Rider, Fall Guy, BJ and the Bear, Sheriff Magnum, you know, uh, other shows that didn't make it. Um, mm-hmm. But he he and Spelling and Cannell were the three big television powerhouses with like multiple shows on the air. And so I did his post-production for three or four years. And then I threatened to quit unless he let me direct. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Yeah. And so I started breaking in directing. I did an episode of BJ and the couple episodes of BJ and the bear. And then I went on and uh, directed night riders for him. Mm -hmm. And, and that was, so I started out in episodic television doing the hour long stunt series, Mm -hmm. which was a good, it's a good, a very good training ground because, um, you know, the schedule and the budget are, are, you know, hard to make. You've got to really be disciplined and know, you know, how to move a, a, a big team and command respect. And it was also, and, and how to get, you know, how to shoot action efficiently, mm-hmm. how to do everything efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you have 50, you know, you have seven days to shoot 55 pages with, you know, 10 pages of stunts. Oof. Yeah. That's so a lot. <laughs> it, it, it was, but the, the good, the good news was that the crews were great. You know, the, the stunt guys, the, the, uh, the grip, get grip camera electric, they, you know, cause these were guys that could have been working on features, mm-hmm. but they, they preferred to work in television because it was a steady job. Would you agree that television crews are, some some of the top end technicians around for that reason they 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 there's the, the guys all the guys that I were 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 I mean when I because then I did music videos and then I did low budget features mm-hmm. and and the I mean I shot a feature in Dallas you know um in 18 days God, with, back uh, then jesus with with, with a crew with us for $600,000 we was our entire budget and the crew for example, the DP was the lighting gaffer on the TV show Barney. Mm-hmm. Oh God, yes. <laughs> he, but which was in da- uh, shot out of Dallas. But he never he was not an experienced DP. He did a good job. But those crews, you, the low budget, you know, uh, indie um, uh, low budget feature crews were not anywhere near as good as the TV crews I worked with, which. You know, because those guys, I mean, they they could have worked in features, but they wanted the, the the they wanted to get on a series that went three, four, five years, and then hey, with the money they made, they could put their kids through college. You know, right? It was a different time. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely yeah. a different time. Now, uh, I heard through the the grapevine that uh, you had a, a hell of a mentor. Uh, his name is Robert Zemeckis, a, a little known director. How was it having <laughs> Robert Zemeckis as your mentor? It was wonderful. I mean, it was, he's a genius, you know, so I got to work, you know, for years with a genius and, and the, initially we were just, um, you know, we were friends. Mm -hmm. We met, we met at a film festival, the Broadway film festival, (laughs) which, which doesn't exist anymore because they had a little film festival here in LA. He won a prize. I won a prize after, during the screenings of the films, I kind of wandered out, ran into him in, in front of the popcorn machine at the press theater. <laughs> of course. And, and, 
And I said, you know, oh, I loved your movie. He said, I loved your movie. And then it was, you know, and then we became friends. And the kind of the good news was that that was the basis of the relationship. We were just um, uh, meeting and because we loved movies, we loved talking about movies. And um, he, what happened actually was that he got married and his 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 wife was and and my girlfriend the woman i were living with were friends mm -hmm. so it and your wife organizes your social life you know <laughs> yes i'm married so yeah <laughs> so so when zemeckis was uh you know when he was when he was breaking in when he was doing all of his i mean when he made back to the future when he made roger rabbit you know, uh, I, I was like hanging out with him, socializing with him. Yeah, because he was your friend. Yeah, he, yeah. And, and you met him before he was Robert Zemeckis. Yeah, I met him exactly. And uh, before he used cars, yeah. before any of that stuff. Yeah, and and you know, and then I mean, I guess that just to complete the story with Zemeckis, it, you know, when um, he got the power, he said to me, "I'm going to do for you." what Spielberg did for me, I'm going to get you a studio movie. Mm -hmm. um, and that was like 1990, early 1990s. And mm -hmm. um, um, so, you know, I spent five years in development with him. We developed two projects, uh, one at Universal and one at Warner Brothers. And he was the producer. I was the writer, director. And we had um, the first script, the first project we directed was called um, uh, Car Crazy. And actually, sort of in, in various other iterations, it went on to become The Fast and the Furious because <laughs> Univ Universal owned it. Mm -hmm. um, but again, we made, we developed these movies, um, one of them at Warner's, and then the other one was um, a project we developed at, at, one of them was Universal, one of them was at Warner's, and the one we developed at Warner's was a script that was written by Phil Hartman, mm -hmm. who was, you know, on, um, one of the a comedian who was he's amazing, the, yeah, yeah, a regular on Saturday Night Live, and um, that script that we developed with Hartman was, I mean, it was <laughs> it, that was amazing because to de to develop a script that I was going to make as a director with with Bob Zemeckis and Phil Hartman, it was like I was in the room with genius. Sure, of course, yeah. Um, but uh, but it, but from what I read, it didn't it, it didn't pan out as 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 many Hollywood stories don't. Yeah, it didn't. The movie th that that script that Hartman wrote was brilliant. Uh, it was hysterical, but it was a black comedy, mm -hmm. and um, and it was weird because every every creative person who read the script, every director, every actor, every casting director, mm -hmm. every producer. Um, every director, they all loved the script and every, and every student <laughs> Warner's passed on it. And then we shopped it, to, to, you know, every, all around town mm -hmm. and everybody, all the executives that we shopped it to Mike Metavoy, Joe Roth, Bob Shea, you know, which was the, yeah. Shea ran, ran mm -hmm. new line and, yeah, sure. and, uh, and they all hated it. <laughs> <laughs> Because 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 black comedies are, you know, your hero is a mess, mm -hmm. you know, a big, hot mess. And they just it, it just it makes them really, you know, he it really just they, they can't quite get it that the studio was that the, 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 the audience is going to love this guy, despite the fact that 
you know, he, his life is a mess. I gotcha. So you, so you, in your day, you've worked with plenty of actors. Do you have any tips on working with actors, especially for for first time directors? Uh, hang out with your actors. Get the best thing to do with the actor, the actor director relationship works. If the actor trusts you, if he looks up to you and, and thinks that you have insights um, and the way to get that trust is to find something that you and the actor both love, um, whether it's and 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 it's a sort of a um, an avid pursuit of yours and the and the actors. It can be well. I mean, you know, with, so with guys, if it's a guy actor, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you can always talk to guys about women. You know. <laughs> you know uh, but it doesn't have to be women. It could be baseball. You know, yeah, it could sure. be if you if you're a Dodger fan and this your actor's a Dodger fan. You know, talk, find out, and 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 talk about the Dodgers and show him how much you know about the Dodgers, mm-hmm. because then that becomes the basis for him saying this guy, you know, is bright and perceptive, so that when you give him a direction, he's going to respect it. You know, so build that relationship as much as you can prior to actually getting uh, on the set, and then also during your shooting. It's prior, and so you know, socialize. I mean, go again. Find out what they like to do. Do they like to bowl? Do they like to shoot skeet? Do they like to you know play tennis? Mm-hmm. And do that with them. You know, got um, it. It, it. Because it, because. Then they, then you will have this bait because because bottom line is when you're directing and it's on the set and you're in front of the cameras, they are they're terrified, <laughs> even right. the best even the best ones, and they they will listen to anybody who they think is can help them do a give, deliver a better performance, right? Mm-hmm. So basically, they honestly the honest truth is most of the time they're only listening to themselves. Most of the time they're saying the director really doesn't know my process. I mean, you know, most group professional actors are actually now kind of almost surprised when a director tries to give them direction, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because they're used to coming on sets and having directors be mostly focused on the camera. Right. Uh, and I mean, even Zemeckis, Zemeckis says, <laughs> if I want an actor to be happy, I tell him to be happy. And if he's too happy, I say not that happy, less happy. And how he does it is between him and his shrink. And I don't want to get involved. (laughs) That's a great, that's a great line. So all of the sort of the whole thing about being a method director of method actors, Zemeckis throws out the window. And basically because he, because he can work with Tom Hanks, you know, he can work with Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. So Denzel Washington, I mean, the list goes yeah, on and on. Yeah. And I've heard, I've heard other actors talk, directors talk about like directing Robert Duvall mm-hmm. and, and somebody told me, you know, this woman who directed Robert Duvall in the movie said every now and then I used to try to throw a crumb over the wall mm-hmm. because guys that are that big, they don't want direction, you know? Right. I, I heard Coppola being interviewed recently about working with Brando on The Godfather. That's oh, what God. he said. That's beautiful. It must have been. It was brutal. I heard, I know that story. 
Yeah. But, um, but, 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 but in any case, in any case, you know, the, the actor is out there and, and he will listen to you if he thinks that what you're telling him will help him. Now, how do you tame an actor that's chewing up the scenery, as they say? Um, you, you, you tell him to feel it, but not show it. Okay. Just, that's it. I mean, just say, feel it, but don't, you're showing me too much, you know? So a little bit more internal as opposed to yeah. uh, a little bit. And it's the, so more, more cinematic performance as opposed to a play. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, there's nothing about directing actors. The simpler, the better, you know, it was because I've acted, I acted for five years. I, when I got out of UCLA, mm -hmm. I joined, I, I studied acting and then I joined a theater group and mm -hmm. I did exercises. You know, we met weekly, we brought in scenes we put on a play. We rented a studio and we rented a little theater in Hollywood. We put on a play. I was because I thought, okay, if I'm going to direct actors, I, I need to know their process. I need to stand in their shoes, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I went. I went the whole way. And and you know what you discover is that when the director says action, you can only you can only think of one thing to do mm -hmm. because you're trying to. You're trying to re achieve your objective. You're trying to be, you know, that's the main thing. And if, and, and you don't want, you can't think about a lot because if you start thinking about a lot, you get out of character, you get out of the moment. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if the actor's chewing up the scenery, don't, don't, the less, the fewer words you can use when you give an actor direction, the better. So the George Lucas school, faster and more intense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> almost, yeah. almost. Yeah, just I mean, just the, but even even if you even if you're not doing faster and more intense, which is you know result directing, which sure. method actors you know will accept because believe me, you know um, if you're George Lucas, they'll listen to you. Right. But but even if you're using method acting and method directing and saying to the you know. It's saying to the actor, you know, seduce her mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, make him leave the room or get him, you know, uh, uh, make, make, break him down, you know, make him cry. If you say make him cry, you know, mm -hmm. it, 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 just keep it, it. That's a, you know, that's a method direction. You're giving the actor an act, a, a, something to do, you know. Even if you use that, you want it to be absolutely, you know, make him cry, you know? Mm -hmm. Something get, simple. Yeah, get her, you know, get her to hug you. Very cool. Now, I, and this is something I always have a, I have a problem with, with everybody, like uh, all our listeners and stuff and independent filmmakers I talk to is, you know, a lot of them just say, hey, I'm... I'm just going to be a director. I don't need to learn anything technical. I don't need to know about the camera or the lens. That's somebody else's job. Can you please explain why it's so important for the director to understand the camera? Well, the, the main the main reason is because you know vis the visual side of directing has become much more complicated recently mm -hmm. um, because it's it's now you the language of film is it demands that it that the camera be moving more than it's not mm -hmm. um if you if you look at movies you know i mean if you look at woody allen films 20 30 years ago 
the camera almost never moves. Mm-hmm. If you look at Woody Allen films today, the camera is always moving. That, that's because the language, the language of film is, is a language and languages evolve. We don't talk the way we don't say, wherefore out art thou Romeo, mm-hmm. and, which doesn't mean where are you, Romeo? It means why, you know, why are you, who are you, Romeo? Or mm-hmm. why are you? Romeo? So language changes, film language changes. And now film language is part of film language is a moving camera. And if you it's complicated and if you step on the set and and expect and don't know how to move the camera, then you have surrendered a huge, you've surrendered the visual part of the, the visual storytelling element to the direct, to the cinematographer. And, and that's then the movie that you're going to make is not the movie that you have in your head. And, and you will have surrendered a huge part of the control to the cinematographer. You have to know as much about visual design as he does, because that way, you know, you, you, he can challenge you, you can challenge him on an equal footing and neither of you will be intimidated and you will make a better movie. And, and basically uh, being a working director today, you need to have that skill set. It's not like the olden days where you could just walk on a set with a bullhorn and a, and a monocle. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. But, but specifically because again, it, 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 well, there's two reasons. One is if you work, if you're walking, if you're working professionally and you're starting out, mm-hmm. usually, you know, you know, when I was doing episodic television, I remember the cinematographer on um, Knight Rider was, well, no, was Fall Guy. It was a guy named Benny Coleman and he was 82 years old. Wow. You know? So, and I was 27. So <laughs> you, you, you go in and, and the crew, you know, when you direct in television, the, the DP, it's his, it's his set. Mm-hmm. It's the showrunner's set. And after the showrunner, it's the actors, it's the star set. And after the star, it's the DP's set. And it's it still pretty much, much runs that way. So if you have a guy who it, it, he's controlling the set and he, he, doesn't you know you can't stand up to him and show him you know as much about this as he does then he's just going to walk over you you know which yeah which brings me to my next question what as a director do you do when you have hostile department heads or actors or any crew on set that you have to deal with like what are some techniques that you use to kind of deal with that because it happens to all of us yeah well, you know, um, you know, you the, the, number one, you try to diffuse every possible conflict. You try your best to always, um, you know, you know. There's two ways to hunt the bear. You can hunt the bear with a gun, or you can hunt the bear with honey. And the the best way is always to hunt the bear with honey. So. Yeah, I just was talking to a friend of mine, this guy Andy Lane, who who's now a professor at Chapman, where I am, mm-hmm. and he 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 had a company called Crawford Lane. He actually he made Valley Girl. He was the producer and the writer of Valley Girl. Nicholas Cage back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Found, he found Nicholas Cage. So he now teaches at, at Chapman, like I do. And, and I I posed this question to him, and he said, you know, you make that person your best friend. 
<laughs> you know, and and down that can be. And I saw Zemeckis do that. I I I saw Zemeckis. I would be in a room with Zemeckis, and we would be calling a studio head to ask him to 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 um you know to to give us to look at one of these projects and do a negative pick do a um to pick it up and turn around mm-hmm. from from another studio so he would, and he would talk about these guys in the most incredibly negative terms like uh, like you know he where he you got the feeling that if he saw the guy getting hit by a car he'd walk away <laughs> okay okay and and then he would get on the phone and in 20 seconds he'd have the guy laughing <laughs> I mean, he would just charm the, you know, it was, you know, he knew his kids' names. It was like, just do a complete snow job, you know? He was a master. Yeah. And with actors, I can tell you with actors, you know, there, there, there is, in, you really, in a way, with actors in particular, if you, if you get on a negative basis with the actor, you really are in trouble because... He will. He or she will stop listening to you, if if they don't like you. If they think this guy's a prick, I mean, you know, really, they 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 they, they, they you'll give them direction. You'll because that's their job. They have to stand there and listen to you, you know. And then what's going on in their head is this this jerk doesn't know how I work, and all right, I'm going to nod my head yes, but I'm not going. I'm not. I'm not listening to him. Then you say action, and they go and do something. They do, they do something that's not anything like what you asked them to do, you mm-hmm. know? It's like dealing with a child. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> you, basically, you know, and then your bottom line is, you know, you, unless you fire them, you're, you're, that's the end of it. You've lost them, you know? Right. So with actors, you, with actors, you really, you've got to, you've got to hunt them with honey. You've got to try to make them, you know, like you and trust you. And there's no, there's, there's, once, if it goes south. (laughs) It's hard to get back. Yeah, it's hard. Now with cinematographers, you know, then, or I found out that like, we're working low budget. Sometimes your cinematographer or your first AD or the, you know, are not, or your UPM mm-hmm. are, are not, are undertrained and not, you know, uh, on the top of their game. Mm-hmm. In which case, you just have to know enough about their job to do it for them. You know, mm-hmm. you have to step in and you know, say, I put the 30 millimeter lens on it and put the camera here, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, and it's, I, I, for example, I, I know a lot about lenses and a lot about um, composition. I I can't tell the director how to how to expose. Mm-hmm. I don't. But if I did, it would be better because you know if things go if 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 a guy starts to a not have good ideas right and because just because he's not very creative or talented, then you have to then you have to you have to make him do your ideas right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and if, and if he's not, and if he's going to be kind of a prick and ornery and, and, and say, oh, you know, I can't do that shot, then you have to know, you say, yes, you can do that shot, you know, and and this is how, 
Yeah, this is how yeah. I've done so, that. I've done that multiple times. Yes, yeah, you have yeah. to. It's it's a it's 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 a game of psychology almost. It's a chess game sometimes. If you have someone who's uh, trying to undermine you or doesn't trust you or something like that, and it, it's it's tough. It makes it makes the job a lot more difficult without yeah, question. I had a cinematographer on an episode of BJ and the Bear stand there on the set and say in a very loud voice. So that's where you want me to put the camera, <laughs> right? It's very passive, very passive aggressive. <laughs> yeah. So you just you just have to kind of you know you you have to be you say yes that's where I want you to put the camera and here's why you know mm-hmm. and stick um, and stick to your guns. Yeah. Now, so we've talked a bunch about actors and, and set, but let's talk a little bit about camera, which is what you've been focusing uh, most of your books and career on uh, over in recent years. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the three kinds of camera movement that uh, it, it, from your book? Yeah. Okay. So this is this is actually in my book. I call this Bob, Bob's rule. Mm-hmm. Because, because this was, I mean, again, Zemeckis, this is the example of like what you get when you work with a guy like Zemeckis, because not only does he know how to do it right, but he knows why it, that's the right way. He has come, he's, you know, he, Zemeckis has got, a, he's totally right brain and left brain, but he loves understanding why things work and how they work, which is, for example, why he's a, He's a he has his own jet and he's a pilot, you know, because he he likes the technical challenge. He likes all, which is why he got into very heavily into um, motion capture and and anything that's a new technology. He he he's kind of got this research scientific side to his personality. So okay, so he noticed, you know. All directors that that you can name that I mean, going back from D.W. Griffith up to through James Cameron, even even you're talking about you're talking about big budget James Cameron, mm-hmm. you know, mainstream, or you're talking about indie, you know, art film, mm-hmm. you know, Coen Brothers or or Oscar Fahardi or Pedro Almodovar, mm-hmm. or, you know, any of those. They all only move the camera in, in a way so that the audience is not aware of the camera movement. All camera movement becomes invisible. So if the audience becomes aware of the camera movement and says, oh, look at that camera move, then you've, you've shot yourself in the foot because, and I'm tell, that's why everybody does it this way. They do it because the way that film works is that the audience has come there to be sucked into the story. Mm-hmm. What your job as a director is to do is to make them believe, to make them forget that they're watching a movie, to make them start living through, to become Luke Skywalker, to become Don Corleone. You know, mm-hmm. you you want them to to be drawn into the story to the so much that they forget that they're watching a movie, and if they see a camera move, or, or then it's almost like seeing the microphone come into the shot. You know, <laughs> right. it, 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 it says this isn't real. This is your actors s- standing in front of a camera saying saying lines. It's not you know, it's not Don Corleone. It's Mike. It's Marlon Brando, blah, blah. So how do you how, how do you like um, kind of go right. back and forth between that and now the camera always has to be moving? 
Well, th when the camera's always moving, you have to keep it moving in a way so that the audience does not see the camera move. Mm. There, so there, and there's three kinds of camera movement which are always invisible, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, could, do you want me to tell you yeah, the detail? Just, just you could just go over it really quickly on those well, three. All right, there's three kinds. There's what I call externally generated camera movement. Then there's internally generated camera movement, and there's moving establishing shots. Which is basically, you know, because these are the ways that you can move the camera and the camera is always moving with the story. Mm -hmm. So if it's an externally generated camera move, it's because the, 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 the focus of the story is moving. Mm -hmm. if, it, if somebody is driving, the example I use is Tom Cruise driving his van out of Philadelphia in War of the Worlds, okay? Mm -hmm. And it's a shot that Spielberg did. It goes on for like five it's miles. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful shot. Yeah. If he's driving down the he's driving down the freeway, his kids are freaking out, and he's trying to calm them down and tell them what's happening. And it, it, so there's this shot that, without cutting, goes on for five miles. Well, it's because the camera has to be moving as fast as the van, because if it's not, the van's going to go out of frame. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be so it can be a move that long, which is five miles, or it could just be. You know, the bad guy puts some poison in somebody's drink and that could be, you know, like the move could be five inches. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. If the camera doesn't move, the poison, the hand is going to go out of frame. So that's and that makes up that's the most kind of that's the most kind of commonly used, you know, um, invisible camera movie. It's externally generated. Now, sometimes you have internally generated camera movement, which is like what the center of the story sees or feels. Mm -hmm. and, and if it's what the center of the story sees, it's a moving point of view shot. So you, the shot that precedes it is the sh a shot of a person and their eyes are moving. And they can be, they can be just like, you know, if you have a guy in a, have a soldier in a trench watching a tank, watching the bad guys go by, the only part of his body is maybe his eyes that are moving, right? Mm -hmm. but, but if his eyes are moving, you cut from his eyes moving to a, to a pan of a, the, the tank going by. And the audience will understand, okay, the camera is moving because the person who was doing the scene is moving, right? Mm -hmm. Or it can be somebody walking down a hallway. You cut to their eyes, then you cut to their point of view walking down the hall going into the dragon's lair you know got it uh, or it can be um uh so it could be spider-man flying you know if he sees spider-man and he you're tight shot on his face and he's flying then you cut and you can have a point of view of the ground flying under you and the audience will understand that it's the camera is flying through the air because that's what he sees yeah. And how about the moving master? And 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 and, and, and then, but there's the third kind. The moving establishing shot is if at the beginning of a scene, at the very if you in one location, you're in one location, and then you cut and you're you're in a new location. You can move the camera. You can fly the camera around like Tinkerbell. It can, it could be you can cut to a casino and you can be up in the rafters with a drone. And mm -hmm. fly through the whole casino, and 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 end up on a you know on your hero at a 
and a blackjack table, right? Mm -hmm. But the audience will understand that if it's a new place and they haven't been there before, the camera is just moving to show them everything that they need to see to understand what happens next. So so that opening, um, that restaurant shot, that nine-minute restaurant shot on Goodfellas is a, a great example of a moving master. Yeah, well, that's but that's that's a moving master that basically that that does one thing that a moving master does, mm-hmm. which is try to eliminate edits. Yes, you know, yeah, because that's there's five things that you want to do when you move when you move a camera. There's five tasks that you need to fulfill, mm-hmm. and one of them is to eliminate edits because moving shots. The difference between a moving shot and a static shot, basically the way that it looks, if if it, it, it there's two ways that moving shots look different from static shots. Number one, static shots uh, don't can't last more than five, six, seven seconds because they run out of information. You know, mm-hmm. you're looking you're looking in one direction. You know, if if it's two people talking to each other, you're looking at one person. They say something now. This person says something off camera. You got to cut to the reverse, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, but just think of it: if 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 the camera is only pointed in one direction, mm-hmm. then your movie's going to end up looking like a play, like a piece of theater. Right, right, right. But so, but if you move the camera, you can you can eliminate. You can shoot the entire movie without an edit. Moving shots can see. Can, can like Russian arc or rope, right? Mm-hmm. Moving shots can be used. The shot that we described with Tom Cruise leaving Philadelphia in his van, mm-hmm. getting away in War of the Worlds, that shot goes on without a cut for like two minutes. Mm-hmm. And, and there's and those are these famous oneers, mm-hmm. like the shot of of uh, Ray Liotta walking into the Copacabana in 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 Goodfellas. Those are those are these kind of moving master shots that kind of when it comes to eliminating edits <laughs> go all the way to the point where they they don't just eliminate some edits they eliminate all the edits. And that's if you could pull that off it's uh it's very um it, it's very efficient. <laughs> well, it's efficient but it's also the reason it's it, it's a, if you do a shot that goes on that long like the shot of Leota walking in mm-hmm. to the Copacabana, or you know what's the other? You know the famous ones are uh, Touch of the, Evil, Player. Of, that, yeah, the Player, the opening of the Touch of Evil, uh, Snake Eyes, mm-hmm. Nicholas Cage, the Palma. Right. Yeah, those 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 are if you go that far, <laughs> like the shot. Of, I know if the shot of of uh, Cruz driving out of the uh, Philadelphia in War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm. That shot must have cost a million dollars or more because it's because it's all CGI. It's mm-hmm. all the only thing that's real in that sh- entire shot is the van and the actors sitting in it. You know, <laughs> right, right. everything else has been added in post, which is a huge expense and and not particularly efficient. No, I actually I actually just saw the behind the scenes of Bay, uh, Michael Bay working on uh, Transformers, and they had a new gimbal of some sort for the camera that did something similar to what they did in war of the worlds, but they did it practically. Yeah. Which is insane, but there's just so many different ways to move the but camera. That, now. that gimbal and those 
and those technicians oh god cost <laughs> oh, a ton of money million. oh yeah oh yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely so, absolutely what, what the, so in a way those big long oneers mm-hmm. are the, you you know if the one that I, I i sort of point to often is the one of uh, Travolta walking into Jackrabbit Slims oh, in, in Pulp Fiction. What a great, great oneer! Yeah, it's a great oneer, and and but he didn't. Tarantino didn't do that in Reservoir Dogs. Why? He didn't have the money, you know. <laughs> right. So as soon as he got the money and the and the schedule and the budget, he did it, and he did it because you know Tarantino. He wants to show he can do what Hitchcock could do. What you know? What 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 Spielberg, Orson Scorsese. Welles could do? Sure. Yeah, with Scorsese, he wants to show, and that's what those big long oneers, which are really not that efficient, show. They show that's that's what I call directorial bravado. Mm-hmm. And if you get that kind of stuff, I mean, you're saying I'm as good as these uh, as I'm as good as the greats. I could pull this off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's then there's yeah Paul Thomas Anderson, the shot oh. at the beginning of Boogie Nights. You know. Hmm. Uh, so that those those are, but even but, but going back to if you're shooting low budget, no budget, right? Mm-hmm. You still want to eliminate edits because that's you know if, if the shot if if you do a master, the shot should play in one shot without a cut for as long as possible because then it will have the if it's eliminating edits if it's mm-hmm. playing. In one piece, mm-hmm. it's going to have that contemporary aesthetic of a moving shot. Got it. Got it. Now, there was another thing. I actually, you know, one of the reasons we actually met is I, uh, I was, exp- I, I was, I found your your course online, uh, the Hollywood Film Directing course, and in that course, after taking it, uh, the one thing that I just was blown away by was the way you discuss foot chases. And breaking down how you can get so much production value out of a foot chase. And it's fairly cheap to do, but you, it, it creates a tremendous amount of production value. Like, and you use point break, which is, you know, one of the all time great uh, foot chases. So, can you talk a little bit about how important a foot chase is sometimes just to give you a good amount of production value if it works in the story? Yeah, your foot chase, you know, is is your low budget, no budget director, filmmakers kind of um, way to put to, to to create an action sequence which can have as much tension and as much spec, you know, spectacular action as as any you know any car chase in the Born Identity or whatever. It's the because you've got instead of having moving cars, you have moving people. But the, the difference is that you know that's you you need you need a crew, you need a, you need you know you need a hundred guys and fifty cops to do moving cars. Mm-hmm. To have two people running one after the other, you you need nothing. You need what you need is you need two guys, two actors, or two doubles who can run, and you need a cameraman who can handhold the camera and mm-hmm. run. Mm-hmm. And and that and, and 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 then and then actually, if you look at Point Break, if you look at Point Break, what saves what what, what she did, what Catherine Bigelow did there, which is kind of uh, you know kind of the secret, is you run the your two guys or whatever through as many narrow spaces as you can find. 
yeah. and you shoot it with the wide angle lens, mm -hmm. the 10 millimeter lens, you with on what's called um, a, a, a pogo cam. Mm -hmm. And a pogo cam is simply a, a plate with a, a with the, the camera can be bolted down onto with a pole about two feet you know, in length and a weight at the bottom of the pole. Grips make these things in their backyard. If you put the 10 millimeter lens on and you handhold it, you get a good shot, which actually you know, is not, it's jittery, but in a way that's only enhances the energy of the shot, right? Right. If, if you use the wide angle lens, you, you, can, you, you generate a, in, in, in narrow spaces, what happens is you, get, you generate a huge amount of energy because whatever the walls, you, 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 the way that you do it is the walls going by the camera as you chase after the chaser or the, the person being chased generate a huge amount of energy as they whip by the camera. Mm -hmm. And, and, the, and the beauty of it is, is that, you know, it, everything is in focus. <laughs> you know, right. Right. It's, it, 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 you're, you're shooting with an incredibly wide lens. So what you're framing can stay in frame. It's an, uh, you know, anybody can do these shots. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the other secret that you've got to follow. So it's basically wide angle lenses in narrow spaces and, and, and you'll, with a, with a 10 millimeter lens, you'll get a huge amount of energy. The other trick that you have to follow that if you look at the point break chase, uh, is that you shoot each chaser, each participant in the chase in a separate setup. You don't do tie in shots. You don't do shots where you see both of them. Mm -hmm. And the, and the reason, the reason for that is, is that you, if, if you took, if you took two guys and you did a two shot of them running a hundred yards, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. It would, it, and you saw it. If they ran the length of a football field, and and you did it in a panning two shot, that shot would last for ten seconds. It mm -hmm. would take them. It would take them ten seconds to go from one goal post to another. Right, right. right. But if you shoot, if you shoot them in separate setups, if you don't shoot the time, if you shoot the usually the way you shoot it is you shoot the leader from behind. And you should, so you're following the leader mm -hmm. and you're leading the follower mm -hmm. with a 10 millimeter lens. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what you can do is you, so if you, you, your first shot is the leader crossing the 10 yard line, then you cut back to the follower, right. You know, on the, on the, uh, going under the goalpost, right. Mm -hmm. Then when you cut back to the leader, he's at the, he's at midfield. Right. <laughs> And then you cut to the follower and he's at the 30 yard line. Then you cut back to the leader. He's in the end zone. Mm -hmm. And, and so, and that's, and there's three or four cuts there. And that, that, so each piece, so you can get them from one goalpost to another in two seconds. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot and more, it's a lot more, um, vibrant. It's, ten, it's, <laughs> it's, ten, it's montage generates energy in itself, you know? And, and with, if you have them in separate pieces, you can telescope them, you know, accelerate them through the, 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 the geography, through the locations 
that they that they pass through. And that's why Point Break is so brilliant because you're going through houses, inside of houses, outside of houses, jumping fences, till you finally get to that kind of football field, which is the LA River. Right. But by the time you get there, it's pretty much almost at the end of the fo- of the of the chase. But all the cool stuff is just jumping in and out, breaking through windows. It was, it's so energetic. It's, it's really a brilliant foot chase. And and the seek and the hero, the person who is you know the the whose work is whose stellar work is really um, made that chase what it is was the location manager. Mm-hmm. Cause that's a lot of, that's a lot of uh, releases you've got to get. <laughs> but it's not so much that it's what you need to do is you need to, I'm sure they did that, that did that chase in Venice. And what the, what the location manager did was he found all of these narrow little passageways that, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of adjacent to each other because once your crew, once you unload your crew and you uh, offer your truck, mm-hmm. you want to shoot as much as you can before you load back up and move somewhere else. Because, the t- because you can, because when you're shooting the way, you know, people running with it, with a with, well, shooting with a pogo cam, you get take one, take two is it, you know, mm-hmm. that's it. You've got it. And then you move on. You shoot, you know, you, you shoot out your locations and, and, and then you've got to, you know, but, but you want to be able to have these narrow passageways, you know, be walking distance. So you don't have to load up on the truck. You can just keep shooting from one to the other to the other, you know, now, now the the thing about the, when they, when they're not in a narrow space, Mm -hmm. when they come, when they, when at the end of that point break chase, at the end, they, they you've got to get them into the L.A. River. It's actually Bologna Creek in, mm-hmm. in Culver City, but you, it's this big, huge concrete storm drain of which there are dozens mm-hmm. in L.A. And the reason for that is is that that that's where Keanu blows out his knee, mm-hmm. and they planted that he has a bad knee. Mm-hmm. So if you have a chase between your two he- between your protagonist, your hero Keanu. And Swayze, your bad guy, although he's a lovable bad guy, you know, mm-hmm. if 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 the hero loses the the bad guy, it has to be for an absolutely rock solid, inevitable reason. Mm-hmm. It can't be it can't be cheesy. You know what I mean? Right. The, pl- right. the plot turns on it. So they set up that Keanu has a bad knee. So now they so what 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 the the obstacle that Swayze can get past that Keanu can't get past is the 12 or 13 foot straight down drop from the ledge of the storm drain to the bottom. So Swayze goes off of it, manages to do that drop. And I got to tell you, I wouldn't try and do it. You know, (laughs) right. He he does it. Yeah. Cause he's, he's supposed to be a top athlete. Then Keanu comes along behind him and blows out his knee and loses him. Okay. But now the, what happens in often is when you're doing a chase is you can't do the whole thing in narrow spaces. They had to get them to that wide open space of the L, of the of Bologna Creek and the storm drain. When you get into a big wide open space, instead of using the 10 millimeter lens, use a long, right? you lose, you use the 100, 150, 200, mm-hmm. and, and you have them run on the X axis. You have them run across the frame and, and you shoot them with that long, narrow lens mm-hmm. and that, that accelerates the motion. And it adds a tremendous amount of production value to a low budget, uh, to a low budget film. 
a car, a foot chase. If you it, again, it's you, it's it's your low budget filmmakers kind of go to um, way to add big production value to a low budget movie. It, if you Slumdog Millionaire is probably yeah. the, 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 one of the better examples because I don't think Danny Boyle had a lot of money on that movie, mm-hmm. and 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 so what does he do? I mean, he does this amazing foot chase right at the beginning of the movie because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just the audience has come to be entertained and an action sequence is entertaining and that, and a foot chase is the cheapest, easiest action sequence. And it can be just as powerful as, as something that costs millions of dollars. Now, uh, you talk a little bit about lensology and lenses. Can you just tell, uh, for filmmakers who don't understand lenses, what are the basic lenses they need to understand? And instead of having to know all lenses and everything about lenses, what are those like core lenses that you need to understand? Well, okay, there's three lenses that you need to understand. Mm-hmm. And um, if you understand the difference between these three lenses, you basically understand the difference between all lenses. And that is... You have the normal lens, which is the 50 millimeter lens, okay? Mm-hmm. And it's called the normal lens because the, it's the perspective of the 50 is the same as our eyes. And mm-hmm. perspective means the rate that objects diminish in size as they recede into the distance. Okay. So, so that's how we judge distance is the rate at which objects get smaller as they go out towards the vanishing point. Mm-hmm. So with a 50 millimeter lens, it's the, it's the same as with our eyes. The other two lenses are the 10 millimeter lens, which is the extreme wide angle lens, and and the extreme telephoto lens, which is like 100 or 150 or 200. Now, the difference there is, the, the main difference is in the pr- perspective, which is with a... 10 millimeter lens objects get smaller as they go into the distance much much faster they diminish in size very rapidly and so what happens is that the depth and distance is is vastly increased it's objects you know things that are that to our eye might look a certain distance when seen through the wide angle lens look much further away. Mm-hmm. And and with the telephoto, the 200 or the 300, it's the exact opposite. They, the, the, the telescopic the objects do not diminish in size rapidly as they go towards the vanishing point. They, because of the telescopic properties of the lens, objects which are far away look bigger than they do to our eye. And because of that, they seem to be closer to us. So when I, I saw Robert Rodriguez uh, do that tip once. Is uh, there's a if there's a truck or a car coming to hit somebody, and uh, it was a little kid in the middle of the road, and a car was uh, a big truck was coming, and Antonio Banderas jumped over and grabbed him. It looked super dangerous, but actually the truck was probably easily you know four, five, six hundred feet back uh, when he grabbed the kid. But it looked like he was right on top of it, and that was used with a telephoto lens. Yeah, the telephoto lens can be used to to again make misses where something's going to miss something but it looked like a hit because it, it because it compresses space and makes things look closer together than art but 
but again, it's like the the the, the fifty, the the ten, the three hundred, mm-hmm. two hundred. It's like if you understand the, the difference between the fifty and the ten, every other lens in between a fifty and a ten does the same thing except less so. And every and the same thing, every lens between the fifty and the three hundred does the same thing except less so. Fair enough. Now, yeah. what is your favorite action sequence and why? What is my favorite action sequence? Oh, wow. Um, well, there's a lot of them, you know? It's sort of, I can't... Pick one, uh-huh. Just pick one. Pick one that comes to your mind. You're like, well, that was a really great action sequence. Um, well, you know, there's... The, the, the Bond films, the Bond films really kind of knock it out of the park every time. Because they do, they always, every Bond movie does something where um, it, it just, you know, hasn't been done before. Like Casino Royale's was amazing. Yeah, like Casino Royale, that's exactly what I'm thinking of. I mean, you know, um, it's, it's, they really go all out to do, most of the stunts that everybody else, most stunts have been done a hundred times or a thousand times. Right, right. right. And in Casino Royale, is that where he jumps off the crane? yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, that's just like uh, a mind-bogglingly difficult stunt and you just, you know, you it's it distinguishes itself by being something you haven't seen done before, you know? Got it. Now, if you were going to give uh, advice to a filmmaker just starting out today, what would that be? Um, get hold of a good script. You know, um, and make it go out with a DSLR and tending your friends mm-hmm. and shoot a feature. Um, and but the, but because you can do it, you know, mm-hmm. if it, 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 it didn't use you know, when I was coming up, you had to have 35 millimeter cameras. Oh, yeah. And and uh, and dollies and all that. And that, now, you know, you can handhold the whole thing. I mean, City of God, you, you know, mm-hmm. uh, great movie. Amazing movie was made, you know, with non-actors, all handheld. Um, I, there's other movies that, you know, other examples like that. Uh, the one, one that I love is uh, in the Company of Men, oh, which yeah. Neil Neil Laboots for first film because he he's a great writer. Mm-hmm. Um, but and so he sat down and wrote the script, and it was all just people talking in rooms. Uh, but but. The the bottom line is that you know the technology is no longer a, a barrier. You you can make a movie that can be projected in a theater with a seven D and fifteen of your friends if they will give you if they have the skills. And a lot of young people have the skills. If they have, if they have the skills, and they'll give you. Three weeks of their time. All you need is the script and the actors. Now that's yeah, it's a little yeah. You, that's a, that's a little sticking point, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but well, you know, um, um, you know, it. But it's true. It's true that that's that's. Or if you can't make a mo- a feature, you come up with a short mm-hmm. and make it and put it up on YouTube. You know, um. You know, there's there are brilliant little shorts which you know showcase the skills of their. Uh, I mean, the one the, the movie that I think of is this, that mo- movie is called Lunch Date, mm-hmm. which was made by some NYU students back in I don't know the 1990s or something, mm-hmm. Or even, mm-hmm. maybe earlier. But just like it's a black and white, and it's and there's like 
it's five minutes or 10 minutes long. And there's like five or six lines of dialogue in it, which were non-sync. <laughs> <laughs> of course it was all ADR, right? Yeah, it was. All, yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, it, it's the thing that you've got to do is, is get the script and don't, don't fool yourself in thinking that you can generate the script because I mean, that's one thing I learned with Phil Hartman mm-hmm. working with Phil Hartman, which was, <laughs> So that was a comedy, right? The, mm-hmm. the movie that I wrote with Hart, with Hart, with Hartman wrote, and I was going to direct it, and Zemeckis was going to produce it, was a comedy, and it was funny because um, Hartman, uh, when we started to write the script, it, we, we actually we, first we had to redo the story, redo the ending for Zemeckis, and Hartman and I it took us about a year to do that, and both of us were, were he was about as good as I was in figuring out story. Mm-hmm. But then when it came to actually, Zemeckis said, okay, that's good. That's the ending. Go write it. Well, we went to go write it. Hartman said, okay, you sit at the computer. And I said, well, okay, we'll take turns. So I sat down at the computer and he stood up and he started, he, first thing he says, okay, he comes in the door and he says, and then she says, and he says, and he's just acting out the parts because he's an improv actor. He's a master. Right? He was a master. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm writing it down as fast as I can. And I, I just like, cause everything is brilliant and funny. And I went home that night and I said, Gil, if you ever try to write something that's supposed to be funny by yourself again, you're a fool because you, that, because you need talent to do that. That guy's got talent. You, know? right. you don't even, you're not in the ballpark. He can write more funny lines in 30 seconds without stopping to think than you can write in, you know, 30 years. Right, right. You know? right. So, so, and actually, you know, again, the comedy is most of our most American American movies aren't. You don't very rarely in this country see um, a, um, a dramatic film uh, with with uh, where there with a downer ending, you know, or with any kind of serious tragic ending. We don't make movies like that in this country. All of our movies, even our art films made by the the Coen brothers or, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, or Paul Thomas Anderson, they, these guys can be, are very witty. They're very witty. Mm-hmm. There's and, some comic in, in elements yeah, in almost all of yeah, them, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, um, what is, uh, now I'm going to ask you my Oprah, Oprah Winfrey questions, so prepare, prepare yourself. Um, what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn in the film business or in life? Don't be the only person in the room who can have uh, who can have a good idea. Great, great answer. The guy who's sweeping the floor can have a great idea, and so don't listen. You know, get on a get get with create surround yourself with creative people, and then give them give them all the rope in the world to hang themselves with. And, 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 you know, and, and don't just think because the guy is the camera operator or, or the grip that he can't come up with a good idea, you right. know, um, because you're standing there, directors are problem solvers. You're on the set, it's chaos and you're trying to solve problems. You know, the 30, the likelihood that 30, of 30 if you think 30 people, you're much more likely to solve the problem than if everything has to be solved by you. Yeah, and that and that takes a and that takes a, an ego that can handle that, and that's something that a lot of filmmakers have problems with. 
Yeah, when you're, you know, you start out thinking you know everything and and only you, you must, the film is sort of like your temple, you build a your, your little temple around it and, and only you know how to make it. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of guys that can. Yeah, but just... Yeah, it's it's just be humble, you know. I mean, I always say to the crew and everybody, I want everybody to give me their ideas. I want everybody if they I'm trying to solve a problem and you have a solution, I want to hear your solution, but I reserve the right to say no without an explanation. Yeah, because you're basically the you're the gatekeeper of, no, of what and happens. Also yeah. Time time and money. Mhm. You just can't. You just can't go. You can't go run around being super polite to everybody. You know. Yeah, that's something I learned uh, along the way as well as a director. Is like you know, uh, you can't. It's just yeah. you don't have the time uh, and the budget. Yeah. The budget's kicking so, away. But, but you say, but if, if you listen and then say no, I'm sorry. That's that, that. At least you've kept the option open for inspiration on the part of somebody else to to guide you. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, what are three of your favorite films of all time? And and I won't hold you to the list. Just three films that come to your mind. Well, you know, I mean, I love The Godfather. I think mm-hmm. that's The Godfather One is you know genius film. Um, I also love Sunset Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think Billy Wilder is a genius, and that that movie is. I mean, again, that movie is like like the movie that I wanted to make with Zemeckis and Hartman. It's dark, it's mm-hmm. weird, mm-hmm. and it is so – it's unique. There's no movie around that's that strange, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and then I like – you know, I guess there's I, – I have a taste. The, the, the movie that was made most recently that I think is, is brilliant – well, there's really two. One is uh, A Separation which won the Oscar for the best foreign film mm-hmm. um, about three, four years ago. It was made by an Iranian director. His name is Ashgar Fahardi. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and uh, I just think that that's a fabulous film. But just that, that'll be, it's, you know, it does a lot of things and it's a low budget movie. It's an arty movie. And um, Fahardi is really an amazing director and writer. Yeah. Now, um, we obviously uh, the way I met you is through your course that uh, that we released uh, called Hollywood Film and Television Directing Masterclass, and we will be putting uh, direct links to that that class and uh, and your books as well. Can you talk real quickly about the the two books you have? I got a book called uh, First Time Director, which is I wrote in two thousand three. Came out in two thousand three. It's basically what a first time director needs to know when he goes to make his first film because it's kind of a unique situation where you're going to always be a day late and a dollar short you're going to have to be sort of proving yourself you're not a proven entity yet so there's a kind of a uh, it's everything pre-production production post-production and then the other one is directing the camera which came out in 2013 and that's basically uh, you know the what a director needs to know to control the look mm-hmm. of the film. And it's d- divided into basically two sections. One is how to shoot action sequences, which is something that, you know, you, you, in, is a, in the look of the film is everything when you're shooting action. And number two is how to shoot dialogue scenes with a moving camera, which is tricky 
but something you need to learn how to do if you're going to if your movies are going to look have the look of contemporary films. And you go over a lot of that stuff in the uh, in the online course as well, correct? Yeah, that directing the camera is what the online course is about. It's 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 it divides itself into two pieces. One is shooting action, the other one is shooting dialogue scenes with a moving camera. And if you can master those two, you could be a working director. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's it. I mean, no, that's what you those are the two most important skills you need to know uh, if you if you're working on a you know major studio movie um, because the, the on the studio movie the actors direct themselves that's the dirty little secret mm-hmm. that you know that's what some so Zemeckis can say when I want an actor to be happy I tell him to be happy and right because you know. he's a, he's also working with the top actors yeah. in the world yeah yeah. It's here. I'm, I'm, I doubt that he's sitting there with Tom Hanks or Denzel Washington, you know, trying to get into the emotion of the scene. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you don't, you don't do it. But, but even, but so if you're working low budget, you need to direct actors. But, but if you're working low budget, you also need to control the look of the film because th- that's not easily done, and you don't want to hand that over to the cinematographer because then the film won't be yours. Right. Right, and you need to be known as a director who can control the visual look of their vision. Yeah, exactly. Gilman, thank you so much for taking the time out to be on the show, man. You've dropped some major knowledge bombs uh, for uh, for the Indie Film Hustle tribe, so I truly, truly appreciate it, man. Thank you. My pleasure. As promised, that was an insane episode. I've learned so much from taking uh, Gil's course, and I've actually read the Directing the Camera book which is pretty much a lot of the stuff that you're going to learn in the course, but goes into a little bit more detail about it. Uh, So if you guys are interested in taking this course, by the way, when I launched it, it is uh, probably one of the most successful course launches that we've ever done at Indie Film Hustle. That's how popular it's become, and that's how uh, insane people are going over it. Really, really love it. It's just really great information, and I can't recommend it more highly. So if you guys want to get 50% off the course for a limited time, Head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash Hollywood Directing. That's IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash Hollywood Directing. And you'll get actually over 50% off the course, which I think is standing right now at 29 bucks. So worth it, guys. I can't even express to you how awesome this course is and how in love I am with it. So definitely check it out. And if you want to get links to anything we discussed in the episode, head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash one five six. That's indiefilmhuddle.com forward slash one five six. And if you guys get an opportunity, head over to filmmakingpodcast.com and leave us a good review, hopefully, uh, on iTunes. It really helps the show out a lot. I really, really appreciate it. So as always, keep that hustle going, keep that dream alive, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. 
Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia 